0: You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Welcome everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight and thanks for listening to my podcast. If you enjoy this podcast today, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can find me on Google Play, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app, And while you're there, you can help me out a lot and help other horse lovers find this podcast by giving me a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. And I'd also like to thank Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for sponsoring this podcast and keeping it free for listeners. Be sure to check out my very favorite riding jeans at smoothstride.com. So since the last time we recorded I uh, first of all I finished up my summer clinic season a few weeks ago I had a great horsemanship clinic at Norco California it's a uh, really an amazing place because of its um, it's just it's they call it horse town USA and it and it really is almost everyone that lives there owns horses and rides horses the the sidewalks are made of dirt and have wooden fencing around them there's hitching rails outside every restaurant and bar and it's really a fun place so I had a great clinic there that was my last clinic for the season so I'm enjoying a little bit of time at home now I've got like Mm, six or seven weeks at home. Um, my next adventure is going to Ireland for a vacation clinic, riding clinic in Ireland. So I'm looking forward to that at the end of August. So in the meantime, I'm kind of hanging around home, enjoying working in my flower garden a little bit. I sneak away to the lake whenever I can to play, uh, play on the boat a little bit and have fun on the water. We've been doing lots of filming projects around here. That's been a lot of fun. Just some typical content production, filming the TV show. Um, what I have not had time to do yet is work with my new cult, Pepperoni. I, I've had the Colt since um, April 20th, but I didn't have time to do anything with him and he also needed some time off after his, um, after his busy semester at college. And um, so I had a vet exam done on him again a couple of weeks ago. My vet, uh, Dr. Casey Potter, uh, excellent performance horse vet. Um, He went ahead and cleared Pepper for riding a couple of weeks ago, but I haven't had time to work him yet. So today, I'm super excited, going to go out and work him for the very first time since I've had him. Um, So April, May, June, July. So three months I've had him and haven't haven't really... I mean, we've been handling him every day, but I haven't ridden him or or actually done much training on him. So we're going to get started with that today. And guess what? We're going to film the whole thing, so we're going to post it up on my YouTube channel, and so if you want to check out Pepper's new series on my YouTube channel, just go to youtube.com slash Goodnight, and you'll find a series of stories about Pepper, so go check it out. You know, we get a lot of questions from our listeners and from our social media outlets, and we try to compile the really, uh, the best questions, the, the questions that most people would be interested in hearing the answer to, and so we've got a list here, and I'm going to get through as many questions as I can, so today's topic is, is just simply going to be questions from our listeners, but before we get started, it's time for our regular segment, Stride by Stride with Desiree from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans.
1: You and I are both riding instructors and um, it it's uh sometimes gives you a different point of view and I've been working most of my career with the Certified Horsemanship Association and it's a nonprofit organization that promotes safety in horsemanship and uh, it promotes safety and education in education and horsemanship and certifies riding instructors. And one thing that we always talk about in CHA is that An instructor should never enter the arena to teach a lesson without being dressed prepared to get on a horse. In other words, it is inappropriate for an instructor to walk into an arena to teach a lesson in flip-flops and shorts um, because she may well have to handle horses and because you and I are both riding instructors and, and teaching people uh, doing uh, sort of uh, more advanced things, we end up getting on on horses all the time, and so I can't really enter an arena without being prepared to ride a horse. Mm-hmm. And I never know whether it's going to be an English horse or a Western horse, because I teach all disciplines all the time, mm-hmm. and um, what kind of saddle they're going to have, um, and then also... I may not be on the horse, and so I, I, one reason I became enamored of riding jeans, um is, and smooth stride in particular, is because I want to have, when I'm on the ground in the middle of the arena, I want to be comfortable, I want to have a casual look, I might be moving poles or doing stuff like that where I'd rather have jeans on, but I've got to be able to crawl up on a horse at any minute without running and changing pants or putting half chaps on, Um so, I love that you you designed um the jeans to to not only have a great look, casual look for jeans, but to be really functional once you crawl up on that horse.
2: Yep, yep, when you're mounting, you don't want to have um you know, you know you want to have proper derrière coverage and when you're working around the barn, but uh yeah, they they are specifically designed higher in the back for all sorts of bending work that we have to do around horses, everything we do is leaning over and taking care, you know, of
1: of, of them. But um but it's it's not just the uh it's not just the high the good coverage in the back that I love about the pants. I love that it's cut lower in the front. So when you do put that foot up to get on a big horse just put it in the stirrup or you um, are bending over to pick up that ground pole, or you're yeah. um you know riding that horse, bending at the waist to go over a jump or what have you so um it is the whole waistband of the pant is actually a pretty intricate design it appears to me it's got uh the waistband and hip area the design features you put in there are pretty amazing and yeah. um One of the things I love is the lining of the waistband Um, and I, I don't really know how it works. I just know it's super comfortable because not only the cut of being high in front and a little bit lower in the, I mean, sorry, high in the back and a little bit lower in the front, but also the lining of the waistband, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Well, our waistband is contoured. Most
2: waistbands are just one long strip that gets lopped off, and ours is a little bit different. Um, it's specially made just to, to follow the curves of a woman's body. Um, and the microsuede that is lining, that's used to line the waistband, is what we use for the extended knee patch. And the full seats, and it's very expensive. It's wash and dryable suede. It's made out of recycled plastic bottles. Very eco-friendly. And, uh, oh. but we, uh, Eric found, uh, saw some of the, uh, remnants from sewing on the floor. And that's, you know, money on the floor. And he was looking at the pattern maker when they were making the samples and he said, is, it, can, is there any way we could use these scraps? And they both looked at each other and they thought, well, why don't we line the waistband with it? And so that's how the lining of the waistband came to be and when he brought home the sample and I was, and I put it on, I couldn't believe it. It was so soft and you know the whole thing about these jeans are seamless comfort. So when you're in the tack for hours, you don't come back and you have one of those marks on your skin or it from a seam that's irritating. And so, yeah, I'm so glad you like that because um, it was just part of the evolution of the new design and and uh, very, very, very nice.
0: All right, let's get started with today's topic, which is basically an extra long version of what the hey Q and A. So Megan, why don't you read the first question?
3: All right, so our first question is from Timothy. He says, Julie, what do I do with my gelding that is barn sour for his mare? They have been pastured together for years and he is unrideable and he can't see his girl. I've tried turning him in circles, figure eights, and he gets to where all he'll do is back up. Then if I push him further, he'll start crow hopping. I'm 54 and my rodeo days are way over. If I trailer him away, he's fine. But in my horse pasture, I can't ride him away from his girl. Thanks in advance for any advice.
0: Well, Tim, sounds like you've got a uh, uh, gelding that's a handful. Barn sour for his mare. Herd bound on that mare, I guess I would say. Um, So my first... Question in my mind listening to Megan read it was uh, how did this horse do if you trailered it away alone and and you answered that question and he does fine so and this is not a typical so it is it's with when the horse is within earshot or or visual shot of each other that's when you have problems and you know so one of the first things that I encourage people to do that are having these kind of herd bound problems is to trailer the horse away and if the horse rides fine when it's out of completely out of earshot and far enough away that it's forgotten about the other roars then um well that's good so then half your problem is solved (laughs) so we just got to figure out what's going to work at the barn so um several things definitely i would um would focus on right away first of all is nose control when i'm working with a horse either on the ground or in the saddle i absolutely insist that that no- horse keep his nose in front of his chest at all times i'm around him N- no looking around um and in, in this case it's super super important because as you bring that horse out away from the the horse he's obsessed with he's going to be constantly fretting and looking back and looking back and looking back and that um that right there just just leading the horse away and and with all that happening tells me that the horse is not with me and I need that he's thinking about leaving and he's thinking about escaping and he's thinking only about that other horse and not about what we're doing and what the task at hand is so that's one reason why I always insist that people or that horses keep their nose in front of their chest um, whether I'm leading them tying up working with them and grooming them saddle them and definitely while I'm riding them that nose just stays in front of the chest period so I imagine Uh, two parallel lines coming out from the points of shoulder of the horse those that would be about the width of the points of your shoulders and to be fair I'm perfectly fine with my horse moving his nose within those two lines but as soon as he crosses that line I correct him and scold him so if I'm leading him I would just bump the rope if he moved the nose toward me by the way Uh, let's say I'm leading him from the left side and he turns his nose to the left towards me, I would really harshly scold him for that because not only is he doing the wrong thing by looking around and obsessing over this horse and thinking about leaving me, but he also moved into my space in a rude way in that moment. So um, I would would correct even harsher if he turns his head to look in a direction that is towards me. Um, but I, I will work on that nose control for sure. And, you know, this applies to all horses in all circumstances, but when a horse is looking all around, they're looking for a way out of their current dilemma, and that current dilemma is having to be ridden by you. So if you will get really, really strict when I'm handling you once I put a halter on you and or once I'm riding you your focus has to stay here with me and you can't look around once you rule out this as an option for a horse they will they their focus will come back on you second of all I think I hate to tell you this Tim but I think you've been prolonging your own problem with the circling and, and figure eights that you do So what's happening is your horse has become so obsessed with this mare that he's basically refusing to be ridden. He's, he's refusing to go anywhere. He's refusing to be obedient to the aids. And if you persist, he then starts threatening to buck you off. Um, so the problem is not how do I ride the through the crow hops. The you know the problem is what makes him think he has a say in and when he gets to be ridden and when he doesn't. And so this this falls under the category of what I would call conditional obedience. I mean you you have a broke horse that's fine to ride in some situations, but there's some situations where he's just flat out refusing to do what you ask. And so I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about this conditional obedience. I've in the past couple of years I've spent a lot of time observing at clinics how often horses um, people have a long standing relationship with a horse that that has resulted in conditional obedience from the horse, and and by that I mean that. The horse is willing to do so much, but there are some things he's unwilling to do. And then when you push him to do those things anyway, he displays threatening behavior. So you quit asking him. At that point, you've taught the horse that his obedience is conditional and that you are unwilling to reinforce what you have asked of the horse um, when he displays threatening behavior. So... Horses are clever animals, so now this horse knows that if if it's something he doesn't want to do enough badly, which in your case is um, leaving that mare, which in another person's case might be walking into the pond full of water, which in another person's case might be, oh, I don't know, anything, anything that you... Oh, I know one, I just had at a clinic recently, a horse that, a very lazy horse that was willing to walk and trot, but every time the rider asked the horse to canter, it would crow hop and threaten and refuse to move forward. So she just agreed not to ever ask the horse to canter. And that horse was fine with that. He said, okay, I'm willing to walk and trot if you're willing not to let ask me to canter and so this really bothered me so i said i'll canter that horse so i got on the horse and she was actually a cute little horse little pony kind of a drafty pony and and um I asked her to canter and she bucked and kicked out you know she's lazy so she'll only buck one time but uh, every time I asked her to canter she'd buck and then she got mad about it so she bucked a little harder and, and it was never breaking, breaking and break two bucking type of thing it would be one kick out and then and then she'd stop so i could i never did i got her like three strides of canter and one time and after many many times of trying and i just decided to quit right there because it was like a 20 something year old mare but um so that's what i would call conditional obedience the horses is, is only obedient when he basically wants to be so that's a problem and we have to go back way back to the most fundamental part of this horse's training and figure out what makes him think it's optional what makes him think sometimes he has to behave and be obedient and sometimes it's okay to throw a temper tantrum so i would be looking for little things like that horse looking around like that horse um, not going the speed or direction you asked him to like that horse if you have to hold the horse in a speed or hold the horse in a direction that's a horse that's threatening disobedience so we got to go back in this horse's training and figure out why he has that misconception that his behavior is optional Um, but to get back on the circling um, and i think this might help you more than anything else is when your horse is disobedient or is throwing this fit about leaving the mare every time you circle that horse in order to try and get it going again you're losing um you're losing ground with the horse so people people have widely been taught and or have figured out themselves that when they have problems controlling a horse the best thing to do is circle him And that is halfway true. Circling is not your friend. Turning is your friend. Turning right to left is your friend and not circling. And here's the reason why. This horse is refusing to go away from something he wants, which is the mare. And so every time you ask him to go away and he throws a fit and you circle him, you're turning him back towards the mare for a moment Then half the circle you're turning away from the mare, which he doesn't like, so he's tantruming again. So half the circle you're turning him back towards the mare, which he wants, so he thinks he's being rewarded, and then half the circle you're turning away, which is a fight, and then half the circle you're rewarding him. So circling does not work, and not only is it not going to fix the problem, it's actually prolonging and making the problem worse, because to him, it feels like every time he starts to throw a tantrum, you turn him back towards the mare. It doesn't compute to him that you then turn him away again because it doesn't matter. He already knows the answer. He throws a fit, and you turn him back towards the mare again. So if instead of circling in figure eight, if, if instead you would turn, make a... Uh, a 180 degree turn left followed by a 180 degree turn right and left and right and left in such a way that every time you turned you were turning away from that mare um, then you might actually get somewhere with this horse so i would also just a, a couple of more things to throw out there if this horse is going to throw a tantrum, I would just work the, the snot out of that horse right there by the barn. Um, as I was doing these turns, I would make him do it at a trot, and I would do it long enough and hard enough to where he was breathing very heavily and, and really wishing we could stop. And then I would bring him to a walk and let him walk away from the horse. As soon as he started throwing the fit again, I'd start working him hard. As soon as he relaxed, I'd let him walk and walk away from the mare. Let him rest. Let him find rest and let him find oxygen farther and farther from that mare. Let him find hard, unpleasant work um, when he's obsessing on that mare or when he's close to the barn. And if you, I I think, Tim, if you you put all of those things into play, um, hopefully you could make some progress on that horse so that, Um, you have the same level of expectations of your horse at home that you know the horse is capable of away from home. That was a good
3: question to start out with. So let's move on to the next one. Megan, hit me. All right. So the next question is from Jessica. She says, my question is, how or what can I work on to improve my half-Arab mare's attitude when asking for a trot in the round pen? In the larger arena and out on a trail ride, she'll pick up the trot and canter with no ear pinning, head snaking attitude. In the round pen, she'll trot, haven't been able to get a canter and not without lots of attitude. On the ground, I can point and she'll go off at a walk. When I kiss once, she'll pick up the trot and kissing twice or a cluck and she'll go smoothly right into the canter.
0: Jessica, if I had you on the phone, I'd probably ask a couple of questions because your your question as written is a little bit confusing. So I'm guessing after looking at the question, looking the question over a couple of times, you said that um, you're your main concern is improving her attitude when asking for a trot in the round pen. What I'm unclear about is are you riding in the round pen or are you just working the horse on the ground? It sounds like to me, you're talking about riding the horse in the round pen because when you say on the ground, I can point and she'll go off at a walk. When I kiss once, she'll pick up trot twice with canter. Um, So, so, so so some of this is curious to me. So it sounds like in the larger arena or out on the trail ride, she'll pick up in the trot and canter just fine. So obviously you're riding this horse, and apparently with, with less problems than in the round pin, you're riding the horse in the larger arena and out on the trail, so my first question would be, why are you even riding this horse in the round pin? Look, the round pin's a really small space for a horse. Even, um, it's even small for doing groundwork. For instance, I never ask horses to canter in the round pin. It's too small. It's uh, a a standard round pin, it's a 60 foot um, diameter, and that is an extremely small circle for a horse. At the trot, it's hard, and at the canter, for some horses, it, it's impossible um, to canter correctly in that smallest circle. And so what will happen is they'll canter um, with a counter bend, and that will lead to cross cantering, where they're on one, one lead in front and one lead behind. Um, so, so to me, more negative comes out of cantering um, in the round pin than positive and that's on the ground. I I rarely would ride in a round pen unless I was just starting with a colt. I'm going to work my horse Pepper today, and I'll ride him in the round pen a couple of times before I ride him out in a bigger pen just so we kind of get used to each other. But once I'm out of there, I'm out of there. I don't really see any purpose to go back. Maybe you have a reason why you're riding in the round pen, Um, but the first thing I would tell you is if... So, okay, first of all, when you have a horse copping an attitude in a situation like that and not in other more reasonable situations like riding it in the larger arena or out on the trail, the first thing that comes to my mind is something physical and maybe this horse has some hawk soreness, maybe um, you know it's something chiropractic, who knows, but a small circle is much more difficult for a horse to balance a rider on um, even without a rider that smallest circle can be harder on the horse physically than going on the straightaway so first and First thing that comes to mind is that there could be a physical reason why she's acting this way. So I would, um, you know, get a vet a exam, have them check, you know, explain what the situation is and have them check. It's possible that this mare just does not want to work in the round pin carrying a rider. She's an, she's half Arab, so she's probably pretty smart. Um, if she's a, if she's prone to be a little lazy, I would think maybe, um, she just doesn't like to be ridden in the round pen, but I don't blame her. It's, it's. It's hard and it's just not really a place for riding. Um, And so the fact that you can work her from the ground in the round pen with no problems, but when you get on her back, you have attitude problems. I think I would be more concerned about the physical there. Um, And if it is, if you rule out everything physical, saddle fit and everything, then And in that case, it might point to it being a training problem. I would say don't ride her in the round pen. Ride her where she's good. And you don't need to ride a broke horse in the round pen. Um, get her out in the open where it's more fun and more interesting, and she has a reason to move forward. Going round and round and round in that tiny, tiny circle is is not very much fun to a horse. And um, so, anyway, if yeah, if I had you on the phone, I might have a few more questions that that could have uh, enlighten me as to what's going on here. But but those are the things that come to mind when I read your questions. So I, I hope there was something there that would help you out.
3: So Megan, ready for the next question? Yeah, the next question is from Kelly. She says, hey, Julie, have you any advice for a horse being pushy at the gate? Kid is in a herd of four horses. He's never been pushy to come in until his buddy left. Now, when he's taken out of his pasture out of order, he pushes past the two going out and practically runs over the handler. I feel he's just saying, take me first, but he also needs to know how to wait. Please help, thanks. Kelly, that's
0: a big problem, but easy to fix. So let's just talk about the dynamics of what's going on there your horse lost his bonded pasture mate or herd mate. And now he's feeling very insecure about that and um, understandable. But what is not understandable is running over the top of other horses and other people. He's not allowed to do that under any circumstance. And because What's going on there is quite dangerous and could result in horses or people getting hurt. So we really need to resolve this behavior. And um, also, just just a thought about why the horse is acting in such a, an extreme way it's not uncommon that the horse left behind is the most fearful horse it's what horses sort of dread more than anything is being the horse left behind the horse in the back of the pack is the one that's most vulnerable to predators when the herd travels and that Um, sort of deeply ingrained instinctive uh, obsession of being left behind from the herd is one that most horses fear. I actually think a lot of people, I think that's probably an innate instinctive fear of people too, that we probably don't give much conscious thought to, but I don't know about you, but when I was a young child, that was a recurrent nightmare for me was that I had been abandoned and left behind by my family somewhere like on a desert island or in the parking lot of a shopping mall or something. And um, so I can kind of relate to why horses feel that way. So it's when you take horses out, when you have herd bound horses, the horse you take out to work is not usually the problem. It's the horse you leave behind that that is most disturbed And that's what's going on emotionally with your horse. However, it is absolutely unacceptable and dangerous behavior. So I think it will be very easily resolved. You may need a little bit of help um, from another person. But first of all, when a horse is crowding a gate, uh, I had a horse here at my place uh, this week that had some very um, disturbingly rude ground manners. And, you know, when every time I walked up to the fence uh, to the gate where he was the penny was in, he would just barge up. And I mean, before he even tried to open the gate, he would just barge up, um, which to me, I don't want any horse approaching me in any circumstance like that. Number one, number two. It was very clear to me that if I were in the act of opening the gate at that moment, that he would have bowled right over the top of me because what he was planning on doing was getting out of that pen. And that's what's going on with your horse. So I just spent a couple of minutes. And every time I would just get a flag or a stick or a whip, um, I just happened to have a, um, a split rein in my hand, just a single split rein. So I just made a long tail on that, holding that split rein. And then I would walk up to the gate and if he came barging up, I'd just swing the swing the rein at him or shake the flag at him or, or whip or whatever. Until he backs up, and I would teach that, and I would carry that whip or flag or stick or whatever you're going to use. You need something to defend your horse from that horse that's that's you know barging and threatening to run over you. Um, so just swing that whip or rope or whatever right at his face, and and you know clock at him, shush at him until he backs up. So if every single time you approach that gate, you require that horse to back up, he'll quit bar- barging that gate. Now, in your case, this is occurring when two other horses are being let out. And so he's he's really having a panic attack about being left in there. So I think that you're going to have to stage something. I mean, I don't know enough about your situation to know how you're going to do this. But get a flag or a whip and set this thing up. You might, you know, make it easier on yourself and and tie one of those horses up somewhere and then just start with somebody leads one horse out the gate and you take your flag and your whip and you teach that horse he's not allowed to approach the approach the gate when another horse is being let out you make him you know chase him away scold him tell him no Um, but just you need to break that cycle you need to teach him he's not allowed to do that for a while who's ever taken those horses out probably needs to carry a flag or a stick and they just need to take the extra moment it takes to make sure everyone's positioned safely so that when you open the gate and lead out that horse can't charge over the top of you so I think this is a perfectly manageable problem I'd be looking for other areas in this horse's behavior where he was moving into my space and thinking he could actually come over the top of me I, I would say that's probably reflected elsewhere in this horse's ground manners um, but I think it's perfect perfectly manageable but you're just going to have to get smart um, use a flag or a stick and, and back this source up every time he even thinks about um, coming close to you in a situation like that. I think we have time for a couple more questions. So Megan, what's next?
3: Alright, so the next one is from Fiona. She says, I normally use a rope halter to trailer but it's tied to a quick release. Is this still safe? Fiona, I think that is
0: perfectly safe since you are connected to a quick release and I'll just give you a couple of comments just kind of in the way of food for thought i prefer not to use a rope halter when trailering my horse if i'm just going you know a mile or two down the road to hop out and go on a trail ride i probably would would just put him in there in a rope halter and not think anything about it but if i'm traveling long distances and my horse is going to be in the trailer for a while i want him to be as comfortable as possible as your horse Rides along in a bumpy trailer, he's going to be occasionally losing his balance and possibly leaning against that rope. And you know, the rope halter is just going to put a little more pressure on him than is going to be comfortable. And so, in the trailer, when I know my horse might be leaning on that halter a little bit, I like to use a a flat webbing halter, either a leather halter or a nylon flat halter. And also, I think it's you know a good idea to have a halter that breaks when you're trailering a rope halter at least not if it's a well-made quality rope halter is not going to break if your horse should get into trouble in the trailer if um, heaven forbid you should have a wreck and you need to extricate or evacuate that horse from the trailer or the horse falls down in the trailer i prefer to have a a halter that actually breaks in that in that situation. So the good news is almost anything other than a rope halter will break. And so um, the flat nylon halters and even leather halters generally are not strong enough to hold up to the weight of a horse or the hardware in those halters isn't strong enough to hold up to the weight of a horse so um, most of those halters will break there are actually specific halters made to be breakaways in the trailer and they have a leather crown piece that buckles on both sides and so this leather crown piece gives way if the horse gets in trouble and then you just replace the crown piece so the the, the top so it's a, like a regular nylon webbed halter that you would normally buckle on the left except this one buckles on the right and the left and there's a leather piece that buckles in between that the crown piece of the halter and so um, that's a great a great the, to me the best scenario for a trailering halter and when you and if you do buy a halter like that go ahead and buy a few extra crown pieces at the time you buy the halter and then you'll have them in your tack room if if something breaks you'll you'll have a replacement piece ready so that's what I do I'd use a, a flat more comfortable halter in the trailer and uh, one, one more just word of advice on the quick release le- trailer leads. Generally, they have a something like a bull snap on one end and the quick release snap on the other end. It's a good idea to put the quick release snap far away f- uh, on the opposite end of the horse than his head so i would put if it had a bull snap on one end and the quick release on the other i would put the bull snap on the horse's halter and i would put the quick quick release actually attaching to the trailer so that again if i my horse in an emergency and i need to release him out of there fast which is what that quick release is for i just reach up to the trailer and unsnap it and now I have a lead on my horse if you unsnap it from the horse now you have a loose horse so um, that's the way that's intended to work and the, the uh, quick release trailer, trailer ties are not very expensive they're great safety items so I would just add to that a, a horse a halter that's more comfortable for your horse um, i.e. a flat halter and one that has some, uh, break, some level of breakaway
3: so i have an additional question to that you were saying with the bull snap to put that up on the trailer no, um no, no. Oh, bull snap, bull goes, snap on goes on the horse and the, the breakaway or the quick release part goes up on the trailer and so i've heard um some people say uh to be careful of what way that snaps onto the trailer um so it doesn't hit the horse in the eye or whatever when it quick releases
0: well Uh, For sure, when it quick releases, you've got sort of a dangerous thing to your horse on the other end of the lead. So if he runs off and that trailer tie is dangling from him, it could flip up and hit him in the head. So it's heavy on both ends. So it may be that, I mean, I would certainly test it out on your trailer. Every trailer is so different and where you're actually going to be clicking it to. Um, but I would definitely look at which way it'll, it'll, you know, it'll clamp down one way or the other. So I would look at which way I was going to put it in and how it would release, um, and come, come down away from the horse's head versus release and pop towards the horse's head. But once that, once you have activated that quick release, if it's now dangling from your horse and he shakes or throws his head, it's going to come up and hit him in the head. So that's, that's a potential problem.
3: All right, Julie. So we have one final question and it is a question that many, many, many people ask all the time. They really want to know where did you get your boots? (laughs) Well, I certainly do get that
0: question a lot and I'll say right Up front, I have no relationship with this company at all, and uh, but I think they probably owe me a free pair of boots by now because uh, so many people have asked me where did I get my riding boots. So they are made by Rios of Mercedes. They're handmade in Texas, Um, so that's Rios R I O S, and they are made specifically for riders. Um, They're they're sort of associated with high performance riding so the rainers and the cutters and the cow horse competitors really love these boots. They've got some really great, great features. Um, definitely my favorite pair of riding boots. They were not cheap. They were, I think I paid six or $700 for the boots I have now. But you know what? I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't take 10 pairs of cheaper boots and trade for these, this one pair of boots. They're so awesome. They're so comfortable and they're so uh, perfect for riding so I love them and I can highly recommend them and if you go get a pair make sure you mention my name so maybe I'll get a free pair one day <laughs> thank you to you folks for submitting such great questions and also I really appreciate all you listeners and I hope you found some useful information here if you'd like to submit your own question for my what the and q a just message me on Instagram, Facebook, or fill out the form at juliegoodnight.com podcast. Until next time, I'm Julie Goodnight, and don't forget to enjoy the ride. Thank you to Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for sponsoring this podcast. They make it possible for you to listen for free. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.